0: so so then this is the problem like what are we supposed to do where we are presented with this list of contraindications and yet we know from research that some of these contraindications are actually useful for improving bone density it's a it's a pickle it is a pickle welcome to the movement logic podcast with yoga teacher and strength coach laurel beaversdorf and physical therapist dr sarah court With over 30 years combined experience in the yoga, movement, and physical therapy worlds, we believe in strong opinions loosely held, which means we're not hyping outdated movement concepts. Instead, we're here with up-to-date and cutting-edge tools, evidence, and ideas to help you as a mover and a teacher. Welcome to the Movement Logic Podcast. I'm Sarah Court, and I'm here with my co-host, Laurel Biefersdorf. And today we're talking about the evidence versus the myths around what you can and quote unquote cannot do movement-wise when you have been diagnosed with osteoporosis or osteopenia. And I don't know about you, Laurel, but I'm really excited to talk about this topic because there is so much misinformation around and definitely a a fair amount of confusion and conflicting ideas just like flying around out there. Agreed. So we are just going to jump right into this. But before we do, we're going to read one of our lovely reviews from one of our lovely reviewers on Apple Podcasts. And this is from someone named AK Princess Warrior. And it's a five star review. Woo-hoo. I do sometimes, I do wanna see a one star review. Mm. Just, I'm now I'm really curious what you would write if you wrote a one star review. Like, I think you would just have to be like, this was a terrible recipe. And when I tried it, nothing worked or something. You know, it'd be like, you'd have to be super confused. Absurd. Yeah. Okay, so this person says, keep up the great information. Yoga teacher and health and wellness coach here who is loving your podcast. Thank you for the excellent information accessible approach and good jokes jokes they like our jokes They like our jokes please keep the great content coming looking forward to your 2023 content well so are we yes and you know what if you feel like you want to write us a review we would love it please do maybe we'll read it or you can specify if you don't want it you can say i'm writing you this review for you but please don't read it on air we will honor that request we're honorable people yes so Let's get back to the topic at hand, which is osteoporosis, bone mineral density, bone building versus bone maintaining, contraindications, covering your ass, all of the above. So before we get into all of that, let's make sure we're all on the same page What is osteoporosis? What is osteopenia?
1: Laurel? Osteoporosis is a medical condition in which the bones become brittle and fragile from loss of tissue, typically as a result of hormonal changes or deficiency of calcium or vitamin D. Okay. Osteopenia is reduced bone mass of lesser severity than osteoporosis. So your osteopenia is,
0: you know, just the same thing as osteoporosis, just not quite as bad. So we talk a lot about how osteoporosis is diagnosed in episode 38, which is in season two. So if you want more detail about that, you can go listen to that episode. But essentially, the way that your bone density is measured is with something called a DEXA scan. And depending on your score, you might be diagnosed with osteopenia or osteoporosis and I didn't know this before I researched this. There is more than three million cases of osteoporosis diagnosed per year in the US alone. That's a lot. Laurel, here's my question for you about DEXA scans. And and you know, we're not gonna go super deep into this, but what do we what do we know about them? Are they
1: accurate? Unfortunately, they're not. And I find that very concerning because they are considered to be the gold standard. For- yeah. If your bone density is is getting tested
0: for any reason this is how it's being tested yeah and you know neither one of us is a medical doctor neither one of us is reading dexa scans but my understanding is that there's also a lot of room for error yes in the way that you (laughs) interpret the
1: information yep yep um generally speaking dexa scans can also provoke a lot of fear in people so if you do get a bad result um and it turns out that you have osteoporosis or osteopenia I think it's really easy to fall into this, like, doom spiral Mm. of, like, my bones are brittle. What if I fall? What if that means I have to go to the hospital? What if being in the hospital for so long means I become so deconditioned and weakened that I never leave the hospital. And, and actually like that, that could happen. It's very rare. I would say like relative to the number of people walking around with this diagnosis, it's not a guarantee that you're going to fall and, or it's also not a guarantee that you're going to break your bone in some way. Um, in fact, a lot of people have osteoporosis and don't fracture. Uh, but, uh, it's, it's hard to, you know, not have those, those thoughts. And so, um, I think it's important to remind people and unfortunately i think this is not done very well mm. on like medical websites mm-hmm. remind people that like it is not a death sentence right. <laughs> there is and there is something you can do about it right yeah i mean this is like worst
0: case scenario right and and it's really only likely if you're very already very deconditioned you have pretty advanced osteoporosis in other words just having a diagnosis of osteoporosis does not automatically mean that this sequence of events where you fall, you fracture, you go to the hospital is going to happen to you. But you could see how this would be kind of terrifying if you were in your 70s or 80s, right? And maybe at that point, I mean, all of the clients that I have that I work with who are older are worried about falling. Like it's just across the board something that they're worried about. Maybe because themselves, they're already feeling more unsteady or it's just, you know, among their friends. It's like, well, you know, Abigail fell last week and, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. I don't know who Abigail is, but you know what I'm saying, right? You have, you're feeling unsteady. Maybe you've have a history of falling yourself. You feel like you're just one bad fall away from this happening. And it's, it is something like one in five people who go into hospital with a fracture from the sequence of events, don't make it back out of the hospital. Mm-hmm. And that's scary. And another problem is a lot of the messaging around it doesn't help either. So I went on the Mayo Clinic's website, and this is what they say about osteoporosis. And this is verbatim. Osteoporosis causes bones to become weak and brittle, so brittle that a fall or even mild stresses such as bending over or coughing can cause a fracture. And the site goes on to recommend avoiding high-impact activities like jumping, running, jogging, or any jerky, rapid movements. And that if you have osteoporosis, you should choose exercises with slow controlled movements. And they don't specify, but I'm, I'm assuming they're thinking about things like Tai Chi or gentle yoga. Although it's funny, like you could
1: also say strength training because strength training involves slow controlled movements under load. (laughs) Right. Yes. I
0: I would be surprised if that's what they had in mind. I don't think so. I don't think so. But yes, that's, that is true. Uh, And and it does go on to say that if you're generally fit and strong despite having osteoporosis, you might be able to do somewhat higher impact exercise than someone who is frail, which in my opinion is a very cover your ass kind of a sentence. They also say on this site that if you have osteoporosis, you should avoid bending or twisting as this can increase fracture risk in the spine. And they say specifically, they pick some really odd things specifically, Do not touch your toes, do not do sit-ups, and avoid golf, tennis, bowling. I mean, fine, I I understand why bowling, but like, is that the next most possible po- popular thing <laughs> after golf and tennis is bowling? But anyway, golf, tennis, bowling, and I-, I should take it back. I love bowling. Bowling's really fun. And then also they say
1: some yoga poses. That's, but that's clear. Some. Some. Yeah. Just you know, some yoga poses. Don't do some of them. Do do slow, controlled movement like yoga, but avoid some poses. So
0: take the class, but don't do all of it. <laughs> We're not going to tell you what of it not to do. So so the general language that's out there in the world around osteoporosis is basically oh my god be careful you could sneeze yourself into a fracture and die while also being incredibly vague yeah it's wholly unhelpful it's super unhelpful and if i'm trying to learn more about my new osteoporosis diagnosis and i go online and i read this i mean i'm now just gonna lie on my couch in a straight line and never bend or twist or move suddenly. And I'm just going to stay right here because that's the only safe place to be. But the horrible irony is that by doing that, I'm making my osteoporosis worse. Now, I'm going to be clear. I, I'm not saying that these things can't happen. It's, I'm not saying that it's impossible to sneeze and fracture a rib. It does happen. But generally speaking, it's really only applying to people with much more advanced osteoporosis and who are probably pretty deconditioned, maybe sedentary for most of their day maybe bed bound maybe you know not not people are out and moving around and active and continuing to maintain
1: their capacity i hear from 40 year olds 50 year olds all the time that they've been recently diagnosed with osteoporosis these are people who are teaching yoga they're maybe even doing some strength training or just got into strength training and so yeah like when we we think of like osteoporosis i think we immediately think of like this super fragile brittle bone person that what are your your friend has osteoporosis and she calls her 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 bone strengthening exercises her crumbly bone exercises yes (laughs) i mean like people have this idea that they could break apart at any second but meanwhile like really fit healthy people otherwise are walking around too with osteoporosis and like it's it'd be a shame if those people who were engaging in activities that were potentially like slowing bone bone loss down to a certain degree, or even maybe starting to build bone, would, would hear something like this, like, oh, now you have brittle bones, or you're frail, right? and therefore, stop. Stop moving. Stop all moving stop Because all that's, that is literally going to make it worse. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, you know, for the majority of people who are diagnosed with osteoporosis, I would argue that doing something to positively impact your bone density, like impact or strength training, is not only tolerable with proper programming, But it's essential. And it is to date, it is the best researched method that has been shown to improve bone density. And Laurel, what do I mean when I say proper programming?
1: Proper programming is programming that begins for you where you are. So it's not a cookie cutter program that tells you how much weight you should be lifting, it's one where you're taken through the process of figuring out. What is an appropriate starting weight for you? And then over the course of that program, you increase the load as your strength increases. So it can be the case that small weights could be a moderate to heavy load for someone in the beginning. Proper also means that you don't stay with those small to moderate load weights for the rest of the time that you're training. Right. So a lot of times you go into like a Pilates studio or a bar studio and you see that there are a bunch of prettily colored hand weights and there's nothing bigger than seven pounds, right? Yeah. Or even five. Right. So the, the what's implied there is that like this is the amount of weight that you're only ever going to need. And frankly, that is a fraction of how heavy a lot of the things you're lifting already in your daily life are, like your cat, your dog, your child, your suitcase, a gallon of milk. Like, yep. So if you want to have a properly programmed reg- regimen, right, it's one that systematically and progressively overloads your body as your capacity, as your strength rises to meet that demand. It, you know, it, it'd be like sending someone to kindergarten and then expecting them to just stay in kindergarten for their entire life. Yeah. That's a two-pound hand weight right yeah, there. Yeah, definitely. Here you go. Here's kindergarten six-year-old. And then the next year, it's like, back to kindergarten and then next year. And then by the time they're 18 and ready to go to college, you're like, are you ready for kindergarten again? This is what we're talking about here. This is a, not a properly programmed way to grow okay so same thing with strength training you have to progress if you want to get anywhere that's right i love that analogy
0: that's that's a really great example and and also it's like the messaging is well yes we're putting you in kindergarten again because first grade is not safe for you right (laughs) completely you need to stay in kindergarten it's the only safe place you can be first grade might make you bulky or you might sneeze yourself into the hospital in first grade, Mm, right? Right. Oh my God. Well, so not in a creepy way. Your eyes say
1: different. (laughs) Your eyes say different.
0: (laughs) But I do think this is a good opportunity for us to actually talk about our six month progressive overload, strength training,
1: weight lifting, bone density course don't you? Yeah, I do. So our bone density course is a six month course, and it includes a six month program within it. It also includes bonus courses like strength training 101, and all about osteoporosis. But the bulk of the content is really the program and the program is six months because why Sarah? Because six months is in the research when you are
0: able to start seeing changes to bone density. So if you are going to start doing this kind of progressive overload, no matter what weight you're starting from, you're not going to see any
1: change in your bone density typically until you're past that six month mark. Right. And so we need at least that amount of time to make a change. It's properly programmed, which means that we start you where you are. So in the beginning, we're going to be focusing a ton on techniques. So you might be lifting what would be um, more moderate or even lightweight in the beginning for you so that you can really dial in the technique of of working with a barbell. Now, it is a barbell specific program, but that doesn't mean that you can't take a lot of the information we're sharing and apply it to using dumbbells and kettlebells. You certainly can. We just simply believe that a barbell is the best, most logical piece of equipment that you would want to become familiar with if you want to be able to progressively overload for life. Right. And so this is the other thing too. This is a six month program, but that's not to say that like you are going to ideally lift weights for six months and then stop. Like this is, this is basically us helping you get started over a course of time where you will have ample time to learn how to use weights learn how to strength train learn how to progressively overload learn how to progress toward lifting heavy weights and barbells are the best way to be able to progress for life but then we want you to keep going when this program ends and and we'll give you ways of continuing to use our program to continue going, right? So it doesn't end at six months. It's it's something that we can continue to cycle back on and, and use.
0: You it's, know what
1: make, it reminds me of? Sorry to break yeah, in, but yeah. I was just thinking while you were talking about that, it reminds me of
0: like, you know when you see some a parent helping a child learn how to ride a bicycle with no training wheels? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I remember this, this is how I learned my dad held onto the back of the bike and I started pedaling and he's running alongside me. Mm -hmm. And at some point he lets go and I kept going. Right. Right, And it's that moment where like, you don't know as the person on like, when did that happen? Right. So in that, in that analogy, in that metaphor analogy story, Laurel and I are like your parent. We're going to hold on to you. (laughs) Is that weird? We're going to hold on to your bike, your metaphorical bike, and we are going to hold your hand the whole way through. And then the, our goal is to make ourselves no longer necessary so that you can then continue to work on your strength for the rest of your life. The course is called Lift for Longevity for a reason.
1: Yeah. And, and two things that are really important. One, you, you own the course. Yes. When you buy it. So it's yours forever. You can always, it'll always live in your computer. And then number two is that this course is structured in a way that we have not encountered any others. First of all, there are no like six month programs that are guided with live option and recorded follow along classes included with it. So a rude awakening for me when I was going from yoga into the strength training world and like I wanted to to get stronger, it's like, oh, I need a program. Okay, I finally got that through my head. I can't, can't just be one off classes all the time. So then I invested in a program and I got emailed a PDF. I was like, wait, where's the program? Where? Where's the content? Wait, that was Where, literally all the you PDF. Got? So the PDF was linked to videos on Vimeo. So that, so yeah, so you you like you're like, how do I do a bent over row? Oh, let me click over to this one minute demo video on Vimeo, and look, that's that's a that's a fine way to be given a program. The thing is, is that it's it's actually very very different though than how yoga practitioners and even Pilate te- Pilates teachers are used to being taught movement we're used to going to a class where there's a group of people and being guided step by step through what to do in the class and so I think that it's more yoga slash Pilates teacher friendly to do the course the way we're doing it. We're offering one live class a week. You don't have to attend live. It's all going to be recorded. We're going to ask you to strength train more than one time a week. But we are not only going to provide you with a demo video of every single exercise that you're going to do in the program, we're also going to provide you with a full length class of every single workout in the program. So you will always have the option to just watch a quick demo and work out on your own like the rest of the strength training world is doing, or you will always have the option to take the workouts as though it were kind of like a yoga class or a Pilates class for it to be a guided follow along experience. This, I cannot find anything like this, not to mention the fact that we have a physical therapist. (laughs) Who's that? And a strength coach. Who's that? Teaming up. Who are they? To provide you with this content, it's, it's Sarah and I, you know, we, we have a, a breadth of knowledge and a breadth of expertise and a breadth of qualifications that it, you also don't always find, right? So right. we have something for you that will give you a taste test of what this program is going to be, which is a free webinar. And the webinar is just basically a workout. The way this workout will work is that you'll show up with whatever equipment you have. So if you have barbells, great. If you just have a broomstick, that's also good. And maybe if you have a couple dumbbells and kettlebells, we're going to take you through the experience of a workout. We're also going to do exactly what we're going to do in the course, which is leave time at the end of the workout for Q&A. We're also going to do exactly what we're going to do in the course, which is provide individuals with form check feedback and take questions. So it's going to be very interactive and basically an exact replica or slash. It's going to be an example of how this program will be for you to take in its longer form. This is a free webinar. You get a 30-day replay. It's happening on September 14th if you want to attend live. If you can't attend live, again, you will get emailed the replay. You'll be able to take the class a couple times, get a feel for what it's going to be like. And then knowing that's the bulk of the content, like you'll be able to make a better decision about whether or not this course is something that you want to invest in. Absolutely. Um, Alternatives to this are obviously like to get one on one personal training sessions, Mm -hmm. which I will never not recommend. It's a great idea. But in terms of cost, sometimes that can be a major valid objection. Like people just don't have a couple hundred dollars every month lying around to pay their personal trainer. And I think that, you know, that warrants longer discussion. If you don't have that type of money, the cost of this longer form course that, that we're, Presenting to you is a fraction of that cost. With a lot of this, it's not the same thing as working with a personal trainer, but it has a lot of the same benefits yeah. because there's that live, real time personal feedback component to it. So, if that's interesting to you, make sure you go to
0: our show notes where you can sign up to get the Zoom link for our webinar that is taking place on September 14th. I'm
1: really looking forward to
0: it. I'm looking forward to it, too. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And and the other thing is, like, if you have been listening to this podcast, this is who Laurel and I are. There's nothing... This is not, like... Like, these people are showing up in that class as well. So just get ready for... <laughs> they'll be
1: there. They'll be, these people will be there. By they, we mean we.
0: We'll be there. So this is where my brain might actually finally implode upon itself like a dying star. But this is where we have to like, talk about... We have to talk about... I'm just trying to calm my internal rage. We have to talk about what I wrote in my notes as that stupid fucking study about yoga and osteoporosis. And yes, that's a bit mean, but I'm just irritated by it at this point. Because one of the biggest and most frustrating myths that are out there that prevail to this day is that yoga can improve your bone density. Now, there's a lot to unpack here. Laurel, will you tell us about this study that was done by Lauren Fishman and why it doesn't actually prove what it claims to prove?
1: Yeah. And you've said it best, Sarah, in an email and a social media post you put together was super well-researched. So I'm going to refer to that. Sure. And just name a couple of the most salient points. So basically, if you don't already know, in 2015, Dr. Lauren Fishman and other researchers published a study called 12-Minute Daily Yoga Regimen, Reverses... Osteoporotic bone loss reverses, they said. Okay. The whole world went, woohoo! And proceeded to create a lot of classes that were basically like Pilates or yoga for strong bones. And, you know, maybe they should have just pumped the brakes for a second because we need to take a closer look at like what's inside, what's underneath the title.
0: Yeah. And, (laughs) you know, before I just, I do want to break in and say, you know, it is, I am glad that in the movement world, people are starting to really try to apply more research or more evidence-based information to their work. I mean, and this is not, you know, when I became a yoga teacher, yoga teachers weren't sitting around reading research papers. This is a relatively new development and I think it's a great one. However, we have to have a critical eye about research just because there's somebody published a paper doesn't make that paper as good as the one sitting next to it, right? We have to be so much more skeptical and critical and not just read the title and the summary, but actually go into the study. And if, and if you know, I, I took a year worth of school in PT school just about learning how to understand research and read it. So if you don't have that under your belt, just you know there there's lots of people out there who are taking studies and who do have that understanding and summarizing it for you and and you know creating papers about that so you know you can find other people to help you understand the research but the big picture from my perspective is we need to stop just reading the
1: title and being like oh well that's what it proved yeah please could we please all right so the study has a couple problems i'm going to name a couple sarah kind of did all of this research and has read the study so many times that you can see it's having a pretty negative effect on her <laughs> on her psyche. Um, the study's not detailed enough to be repeatable. That's a big one, right? So. Yeah. You don't, it's real vague, and so it'd be hard to take this study and try to do it again to see if, like, you get similar results. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge, in the world of research,
0: basically the, the gold standard of showing that this research means anything at all is that other researchers can take your paper and they can replicate it and they can get the same results. And it may well be that this study could be replicable, but the problem is in the paper itself, it leaves out so much detail that you would have no idea how to actually replicate it. I mean, I'm still confused mm-hmm. by how many people actually finished the study. Cause at some point they're talking about this number, but then another point they're talking about another number of people. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just very confusing. Right. So like a good example, do you remember that power posing stuff where it was like, Oh, before, <laughs> before an interview, go stand in the bathroom and stick your arms up in the air for 60 minutes, 60 seconds. And like, you know, that's going to boost your, you know, whatever, all these things. So Amy Cuddy did this research and then people were like,
1: cool. And they tried to replicate it and nobody was able to come up with the same answers. Yeah. And and this is the next problem, right? There's no control group. Right. So within the study design, there's not the ability to like isolate down one variable like yoga and see how yoga as an intervention for bone loss compares to other interventions or no intervention. intervention, right? Um, Also, the people were not blinded. Or double blinded, or anything like that. They all were actually yoga practitioners. They liked yoga, and so this means that they're going to want to participate in the study because they get to do yoga. In fact, they got like a free DVD. So that would make me want to sign up for something, right? So totally. like, do I get something for it? Yeah, awesome. There's a strong, strong um, risk of bias when we don't have a control group. Yeah. Um, and there's there's also an inability to draw any type of conclusion about the outcome of the research if we don't have a control group, right? So yeah. there's also like this mixing up of the idea that like what they're looking at is is qualitative, but what they're actually looking at is not qualitative. It's quantitative. Like the the, the results you get on a DEXA scan quantify to a certain extent your bone mineral density, right. but then they claim that the evidence that they're presenting in their research paper is qualitative evidence. Yeah. What the heck is that about? I mean, you know, quali- if you're doing quali- a qualitative study,
0: that's like, that would be if I was going around and just interviewing people about like, how do you feel about yoga? Like that's a qualitative <laughs> study about yoga, right? Like do you it. like yoga? Yeah. You know, or whatever. That's a dumb question, but but something like that versus- How, bo- how strong do your bones feel? Right. Do you feel like yoga made your bones stronger? Yeah. You know? Right. So, so, yeah. It's very hard to read it and understand what the heck was going on and what they actually thought they were studying, the claims that they're making, the title versus the content. Like everything is very
1: uh, hard to understand. And we're going to link it in the show notes. And, you know, if you're intimidated by the idea of reading research, you shouldn't be because you could totally just open up this paper. It's not that long. No. Give it a read and like come to your own conclusions about what it is that you understand from what they're sharing. Yep. Couple of other things. The The discussion focuses on reducing fall risk, which is a different discussion than reversing if- bone loss, which is also a different discussion than fracture, right? So it's like, if you have osteoporosis, your bones have a higher likelihood of fracture, but if you don't fall, then do they like and also you can fall and not fracture your bone when you have osteoporosis? You can also fall and fracture a bone and not have osteoporosis. and not have osteoporosis. So there's we're conflating some things here, and it's not clear exactly what it's not clear that they know what they're measuring. Yeah,
0: it's not. And you know, they also say that this there's no competing interests, but you know, Fishman himself funded the study and you know, yes. Okay. Maybe if you were in the study and you got a free DVD, I mean, he's not getting, he's not making any money off of the study, but there is the potential for the results of the study to create future income if it proves what he wants it to prove. So then people go and buy his content. Right. He's, he sells the DVD, right? Yeah. it's my understanding. And, you know, in the study itself, it literally, there's a sentence that says, this study suffers from several problems. So they're well aware that this is not-
1: To their credit. To their
0: credit. Listen, and look, if you're out there doing research, good on you,
1: because- It's, it's tough. It's hard as hell. Hell yeah. It's I mean, hard as hell to do. I have a lot of respect yeah. <laughs> for scientists I and to researchers. Too. Researchers, like a, it's a, a lot. It's a
0: very, very tough thing to do well. And it's- it's a pretty thankless task. And you're basically always standing around about to get taken down by the rest of the research world who's like, well, I really wish you had included a control study. Yeah. You know?
1: Right. So, but also, like, given all of that, like, what is so frustrating then to us about this paper? I think it's the way that the results have been overinterpreted or the way people have read the title and just then not read anything else and run with it. Yeah. And like while Lauren Fishman is not necessarily responsible for that happening, I don't see him standing out there going, "Hey, whoa, pump whoa, whoa, the brakes, everybody, everybody!" Needs to pump the brakes here, right? And and in my opinion, that that would be the more um integrity rich yes. thing to do. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So okay, we've also talked about this study a lot before. So
0: that's about as much as I can t- tolerate going into it again. But if you want to hear more about it, <laughs> season one, episode five, Laurel did a. St- a solo episode where she asked about yoga and bone density. And in season two, episode 38, we talk about how yoga asana, generally speaking, is not going to be enough to improve your bone density. So you can definitely go and listen to more of that. And I do also want to say this, if you are deconditioned, there is going to be some amount that yoga is going to do for your bone density, but that's going to be a very small window of time. And that's not going to continue to improve.
1: Right. And it it's it has, again, to do with this analogy of kindergarten. Right. Okay. So if you are largely sedentary and deconditioned and you start doing yoga, and I think maybe many of us can think back if you do have a yoga practice under your belt to when you started doing yoga and, and a lot of like my experience was like, damn, this is harder than I thought it would be, right? Until it wasn't anymore, right? So your body is constantly adapting to the things you're exposing it to. What this means is that at a certain point, yoga asana is simply not going to be a high enough stimulus for you to continue to make a change. And so as a tool, right, it's maybe not the best one we have or even remotely close to the best one we have in our tool belt to be able to improve bone density. I would say a far better tool would be resistance training because inherent to something even being resistance training, it has to apply a principle called progressive overload. Progressive overload is systematically and gradually over the course of weeks and months increasing the amount of stress we're applying to the body's muscles, bones, soft tissues, such that we are constantly pushing the envelope in terms of creating change in the body right? So if you do a little bit more than you're used to doing, your body will rise to the occasion and adapt to be able to tolerate that little bit more. And then you actually have to do a little bit more to continue to create change. I I liken this to like yoga is sort of like trying to pound a nail in with a screwdriver. You can do it. I mean, when I've been in a pinch before, I want to pound a nail into the wall so I can hang a picture. And if I use the end of a screwdriver, I can get it there, but if I'm trying to build a house, am I am I really going to, to use a screwdriver to build my house? I hope not, right? So yoga asana has its place, but at a certain point, and probably really pretty early on because the body is more like a, it's an adaptation, uh, machine wonder, it's not a machine, right? So that because <laughs> the very thing that makes it the least like a machine is the fact that it can change, it can adapt, right? So I don't wanna say yoga asana doesn't play any role in building bone, because that would be a statement that lacks a nuance, just like the title of Lauren Fishman's research paper, right? And I don't want to swing to the opposite end of the spectrum. I think we have to start having more nuanced conversations and start to better understand how bone builds to, to prevent osteoporosis to reduce harm. I think that when when we don't have these nuanced conversations and we, we don't fully understand what it is that we're talking about or what we're doing, we're actually potentially causing more harm. So um, the other thing I'll say too is there's a difference between slowing down bone loss and building bone. And ultimately, if you have osteoporosis, you wanna be building bone, yeah. right? Because you wanna not have osteoporosis anymore or exactly. osteopenia, same thing, right? And so, you know, if you're in a boat and there's a hole in your boat, you don't want to drown. So you could try to um, either... Uh, take a bucket and bail your boat out, right? So like every time you scoop a bucket of water out and pour it back into the lake, you're, you're going to slow down the inevitability of your boat sinking. The other thing you could do is patch the hole, right? And then you don't have to be bailing yourself out all the time and you can just keep fishing or whatever it is you're doing out there. And so I like in doing yoga asana as a way to bail your you bail your sinking boat out, right? It will slow down, but but definitely better than sitting in a chair or on a couch. Like 100%. So is walking, right? Yeah. But um, if you actually want to build bone, if you want to stimulate your bones to actually lay down more bone, you want to patch the hole. And that is analogous to starting to lift heavy weights, building up progressively to that point, right? And also impact training.
0: Yes. I really want to stop talking about this study, but I do have to say that one of the things that is frustrating about it is that even to this day, like I did a Google search because I like to look for things the way, you know, I go on PubMed and I know how to put in all the parameters and all the, you know, da-da-da, but your average person is just going to go on Google and look up something like yoga for osteoporosis. And when I did that, I had to step away from the computer because I was very likely going to start rage throwing things around the room, including the computer, because here's another website in 2023, citing this, uh, this study as if it's anywhere close to conclusive, which is the problem. It's just not. And all of these comments, this is what was really upsetting to me because all these comments on this website are saying things like, Ooh, this is so exciting. I'm going to start doing this 12 minute yoga program right away. I can't wait to improve my bone density with yoga. And I don't think I need to reiterate what Laurel said because she said it very, very succinctly. So then I tried to like calm myself down and I was <laughs> like, okay, well, what if I Google uh, Pilates for osteoporosis? Yeah. What do I get? And there, there is a study that I found, but it's behind a paywall. So I didn't get to read the whole study. So I can't say anything about it, but I will say that in that study, the conclusion read that I read said that physical therapists could use Pilates for bone mineral density building. So. That to me just says the findings were probably along the lines of it has potential value in a clinical setting, not just go do some Pilates in a group class and it'll make your bones stronger. And the the biggest difference to consider for my opinion is that a clinical setting, we're in the world of rehab, we're in the world of physical therapists. This is where people are coming in with a, they have pain or they're deconditioned. Or they have maybe osteoporosis that has has advanced to a point that their doctor has told them you need the assistance of a physical therapist for this.
1: Or they have other comorbidities. Oh, my <laughs> we love least that word. favorite word, right? They, that so so there's other things going on yes. medically that make it necessary for them to be under the care of a clinician. Right. And you know
0: there is a point. At which either your body weight or even very low weights, like the you know, five pound, two pound dumbbell might improve some bone density, but just like yoga. Exactly. But this is going to be a very short amount of time. And there's another uh episode we're doing, I believe it's coming up. I can't remember the order of the episodes, but there's another episode that we are doing that is about something called cellular accommodation.
1: Oh, it's the rat research episode. Rat research. Which we're now calling the rat research episode.
0: And you know, so we'll go a lot more into what that is in that episode. But essentially, your bones get bored really quickly. Mm-hmm. And if all you're doing is yoga or all you're doing is lifting small weights, or frankly, even if all you're doing is lifting a 30-pound kettlebell, but that's always the weight that you're doing for your squats. Pretty quickly, your bones are going to be like meh.
1: I want to say something. You know how you had a favorite injury? Yes. In one of the episodes this season, Sarah's going to share about her favorite injury. I have a favorite. I have a favorite connective tissue. Please. Bone. Nice. It's like me. It gets bored easily.
0: <laughs> it is very much like you. It's like
1: those BuzzFeed studies. Which which tissue are you? I'm a bone. Coral <laughs> is definitely a bone. I get bored easily. <laughs> But she's also very strong. I like to mix it up. Let's just put it that way, right? I like to do different stuff. And so do your bones. Right. So, you know, your yoga, your
0: Pilates, your lightweights, even your medium, any weight, you could be lifting a hundred pound barbell. But if that's the only thing you ever did ever, at some point, your bones are not going to be like super excited about it. Let's, Laurel, let's, let's pause and sort of sum up where we are so far. So what we know is that the quote unquote contraindications that are that are put out there for people who have osteoporosis are no flexion of your spine no twisting of your spine no sudden movements like jumping or any other kind of impact slow controlled movements only and these contraindications are not person specific they're just diagnosis broad it's the but, but wait wait aren't diagnoses person people specific like- well in theory, the the you know the diagnosis itself no, mm-hmm. the quality of their diagnosis is extremely people specific. Right, right.
1: Oh, damn that nuance. Uh, so we know
0: that this is a very cover your ass approach because we have to imagine the people with osteoporosis are not walking around holding their spine completely still in every part of their lives. Right? They're 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 in the car reaching over their shoulder for the seatbelt. That's twisting. They're putting their hand down to grab a bag that's on the floor and picking it up. That's
1: bending. I mean, you know We did a whole episode about how everybody thinks the lower back is neutral in a deadlift when it's like flexed a lot. Right. And and so it just speaks to again to this topic of like how we know what we know and how do we know we know what we know. And it's like you think you are not twisting your spine, but let me let me just break it to you, you are all the all day all the time. long. All day long.
0: And you know, I'm not saying Let's, you know, just flout the common wisdom and go for it. With your 85-year-old client who has advanced osteoporosis, like, you know, yeah, no, your first session, maybe don't start them with a rousing round of sit-ups to toe touches and then some jumping jacks, right? But I'm also saying, let's not throw out the baby with the bathwater. There are ways to safely maintain strength and range of motion while keeping your people, you know, in within a safe realm of effort let's say. And the other problem is it is really pervasive. People think that this no flexion, no rotation is like an absolute no-go for everybody with osteoporosis across the board. And I recently did this rehab Pilates training and I was working in the sort of breakout groups with a woman who was a physical therapist and a Pilates instructor in, from what I could tell, excellent physical condition. Uh, but she was adamant, she herself has osteoporosis and was adamant that flexion and rotation were absolute no-goes. And I was just like, like th- that was the noise my brain made because I was tired. <laughs> and I was also like, the, I, I could try to argue this person out of it. They were, they were, you know, it's the—it's like, you know, oh, honey, wait, somebody's wrong on the internet. Like there was no way
1: I was gonna convince her. Yeah, especially in that setting.
0: So, So then this is the problem. Like, what are we supposed to do? where we are presented with this list of contraindications. And yet we know from research that some of these contraindications are actually useful for improving bone density. It's a, it's a pickle. It is a pickle and not a good one.
1: No, it's not pickleball. I love pickleball. This I, is a different type of pickle. I love pickles. <laughs> it's an impossible situation yeah. if you just Google everything you know what i mean like
0: yeah it is an impossible situation but so if we look at what is actually out there currently in terms of like classes there's basically two kind of categories there's there's classes that are calling themselves osteoporosis safe and there's classes or courses that are calling themselves you know, bone building or strong bones or, or something like that. Laurel, can you, can you talk about the difference between, like, w- what are these two types of classes? What are they doing and not doing?
1: Well, so an osteoporosis safe class would probably avoid all of those movements that were named on the websites, like no flexion, no side bending, no rotation or whatever, no impact, slow controlled movements, right? And so in that case, like we have uh, someone who's teaching the class who basically has a pretty you know, okay understanding of human movement to know that like they're going to create a class that doesn't involve poses or movements or whatever it is, exercises that that involve these spinal positions. All right. So that's fine. And that has its place. And I think that calling your class osteoporosis safe is, 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 a, is slightly misleading too, because it's like, well, I, we know that we cannot prevent injury. Like we, that's not a thing and so calling anything safe is suspect in my opinion but it's in my opinion better to call your class osteoporosis safe than it is to say yoga for strong bones or pilates for strong bones because what's implied there is that the stressors that you're applying to the body in this class stressors being loads right nothing nothing negative rather just forces right that you're applying to your body in this class are going to reach the threshold they need to reach in order to cause your bones to lay down more bone. And we just don't have any good research showing that these activities actually do that long term, right? Or even short term, frankly, but long term. So we do have quite a bit of research. That's pretty good. In fact, one really good study we're going to talk about showing that heavy resistance training, for example, which is something you can do long-term because heavy is relative. You can always be lifting heavy forever. You, you can start off lifting heavy and then you can be lifting weights that are objectively heavier years down the road and it's still heavy, right? This is a way to build bone long-term and same with impact training. So I think that ultimately it's misleading and potentially harmful to suggest that your class that is not an evidence-based way to actually build bone builds bone it's false advertising and like all false advertising it typically creates more problems than it solves yeah so that's
0: what's out there in terms of like taking a a movement a yoga class or a pilates class or a workshop and but there's another category of i guess you'd call it a class workout something over the past i don't want to say like five ten years we've seen an increase in these um i would you know just call it like medically approved weightlifting machines, and the, the probably the most well-known one of them is called OsteoStrong. And so if you go on the OsteoStrong website, they claim that it is a, or they say that it is a proprietary technology that strengthens bones, joints, and muscles, increases bone density, and reduces joint and back pain. And in LA, at least, and I, I'm sure in other, you know, major cities, this is a type of sort of specialized rehab that a medical doctor, a primary care provider might refer their patients who have an osteoporosis diagnosis to. Most likely because, and I would, I would, I would imagine not because the medical doctors thinks this is necessarily better than anything else, but it's much easier it's an easier place to refer people to versus saying something like go start lifting weights but they know that their patient has osteoporosis they don't know there's no oversight right so it's easier to be like oh look there's this place it's like a you know a a gym or a studio or something they've got a bunch of doctors on the board looks good to me go there. Right. That's probably, it probably feels like the most cover your ass kind of a place to send your patients.
1: Can I have a question? Are there, are there, doc- are you working with a doctor when you go there? Are you uh, working with a clinician when you go there? At the place? Yeah. I don't know the, the, when you're, but,
0: but when I'm say like, there's, it mean like if you go on the web, there's a lot of doctors involved in osteostronca. Okay. I don't know that, you know, I don't think they're concerned that like, is there an actual doctor overseeing your movements on the machines? Mm-hmm. But just the sense that there's a lot of
1: you know, I'm not just
0: tossing you out in the wild and say, go to a gym, join CrossFit. You know what I mean? They're
1: they're sending you to a a highly controlled environment versus the wild, wild west. That's what I was trying to say. Thank (laughs) you for saying it much better than that. So the treatment itself, and to be fair, I've
0: never done it, so I don't know. But my understanding from the site and also from other people who have done it is that it's really short. Like, the number of people have said to me like, yeah, I do this, I do this osteo and it's like 15 minutes and I'm and I, or 10 minutes. And I'm like, is that it? Is that, is that going to be enough? Like I've, people have literally said to me, is that going to be enough? And I did my like, because I don't, I don't know. But so the treatment, it's about 10 minutes of work on machines. And I think there's only four machines. And so it's this thing that they call the spectrum system. That's their name for it. And each machine loads your bones axially meaning in the direction of the length of the bone. And you do each of these four movements only once. We do have to talk about this axial loading a little bit because axial loading is what happens when you do something like impact training like or like jumping. Like you imagine landing for a jump, your tibia, right? And your femur, those long bones of your legs are being loaded along the length of the bone versus the something coming in and like squeezing your bone right that's a different direction of load Mm -hmm. the squeezing
1: the bone is actually what happens more when a weight lifting capacity right but because muscles around the bone attaching to the bone are all co-contracting and creating what's called like compression right Right. compression forces whereas impact creates a bending force or a bending moment maybe is the better word and then your bone resists bending and that's how it knows to get stronger right so that are the reason we went into that, that's gonna be
0: relevant in a moment, but you know, Laurel, what's up with Osteostrong? Is there something funky going on here? Do their claims actually match up with what research
1: has found so far? Okay. So Osteostrong's bone mineral density claim is that you can do their exercises twelve months for twelve months, ten minutes a week and increase bone mineral density by fourteen percent. However, uh none of the studies they post on their website about increasing bone mineral density show osteo-strong works compared to a control. There's no control group. And so when there's no control group, there's a really strong risk of bias. Uh, Some case studies using osteo-strong didn't didn't show improvement in scans. Another one um, took 55 people uh, and it was missing a ton of data. It only showed data for nine people scans done after 60 days, you know, like they're doing these these DEXA scans after 60 days, but they're like a really long history of research shows that we usually don't see change to bone until six months on a scan on a DEXA scan. So like, why is it so different for osteostrong? There are no studies to prove osteostrong is safe, despite their claims that, that it is safe. Um, there is a study comparing it to typical high intensity strength and impact training, and that study showed that OsteoStrong did not increase bone mineral density of the people participating, but the typical high intensity strength and impact study did. So given all of that information, we also have to take into account a couple of other things um, that raise red flags for me personally. There are a couple of people promoting OsteoStrong who have a pretty bad track record with regards to integrity and honesty and criminal records. <laughs> uh, so there is Tony Robbins, who is, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like, basically I'm not gonna cover up my bias here. He's shilling for OsteoStrong mm-hmm. and so is David Asprey. These individuals, in my opinion, have shown themselves time and time again to be potentially, uh, let's just put it this way, um, I don't trust them, and I feel like they are operating usually from a very shaky moral compass. And so you can do your own, you can make, you can draw your own conclusions. I think that we should link that University of Waterloo um, video, YouTube video, yeah. in the show notes if you want to hear what some academics at, a, at the Bone Lab at University of Waterloo in Canada have to say about osteostrong. And then you can also. You know, maybe we should link a couple of other videos yeah, yeah. that are are raising from experts on reading DEXA, DEXA scans, for example, on why osteo strong, why you may want to think twice before you fall hook, line, and sinker for the promises made by osteostrong strong. Yeah.
0: Part of what's really actually quite weird about osteo strong's claims about building bone density is they're talking about this axial loading. But there's no impact in what they're doing. So mm-hmm. the the axial loading that they're claiming is not what happens when you press or push or pull or anything, a weight with your body. So, so
1: also axial loading, it, like not all axial loading involves a high rate of loading. We know that bones get stronger from high magnitude and high rate of loading, but if there's no impact, the rate of loading along that axial, along that axis of the bone is not a high rate of loading. Right. So I guess there, whenever you have a group of people showing results that seem too good to be true and also are showing results that no other group of people, like no other group of researchers or or medical doctors have been able to find, I think you should that you should think twice. Uh, you should you should put on your skeptics hat and wear it proudly. <laughs> Maybe that's also in our merch
0: store, a hat that just says skeptical. <laughs> I love that. So here is what the National Osteoporosis Foundation says, and we'll link to this as well, about OsteoStrong. The scientific community has long known the benefits of high-intensity re- resistance and impact training exercise on bone mineral density. While the high-intensity biodensity exercise program, that's what OsteoStrong is, may be beneficial for increasing bone mineral density in adults, the evidence presented does not demonstrate efficacy of the OsteoStrong program on bone mineral density outcomes. Hmm. Furthermore, we do not know how it compares to the benefits of the current recommendations for weight-bearing and resistance exercise. Further research is warranted, before the benefits of OsteoStrong program can be determined, which is the research way of saying more studies are are needed. And, you know, there is no clear evidence that OsteoStrong is an effective method of increasing bone mineral density, but it is high intensity. So in theory, it might. And this is something that Laurel and I were also talking about separately. You know, if if the only way you're going to work on your bone density is by every week going to osteo strong, that's better than not doing anything. Perhaps. But it's a lot cheaper. And long term, it's a lot more effective to
1: start strength training and impact training. And it's more, it's like, you know, strength training and impact training are kind of in the same category in my mind as eating and sleeping. Mm. It's something that you, if you are a human in a human body, as opposed to human in a dog body or what no alien say in a with body. me okay if you are a human being these are habits these are just good habits to, yeah to absolutely be in. so the idea that i'm now going to go to a clinic to do my good habit of being a human being is i'm a little bit confused about why we've now moved exercise into the context of clinical intervention i guess i understand like Sarah lives in between those worlds as a PT, right? Obviously, she provides exercise as a means by which to intervene clinically in someone's, you know, something that they're they're trying to recover from or rehab. But is that something that people then do for the rest of their lives? Right. You know, it, it eventually we want to take people and put them back into the realms of like being a human being and going about doing their their good habits. So I guess you know if, if osteostrong, I'm gonna I'm gonna suspend my disbelief and 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 give osteostrong the benefit of the doubt to an extent. Uh, my my red flags are up and my hackles are way the heck up yeah. when I see how they market themselves and the claims they're making and the lack of evidence They're good evidence to support what they're saying. I mean, it sounds a lot like good marketing to me. But um, all of that aside, if osteostrong is a bridge to get people feeling confident to to build enough bone density where people are safe to go back into, you know, the gym and start doing these activities of healthy human living, like strength training, um, then okay, cool. I just wonder if, you know, because they're they're not um, held accountable in the same way that Sarah is as a physical therapist, and they are for-profit, and there's nothing wrong with being for-profit, I wonder if what they're actually trying to create is like some level also of dependency. Absolutely.
0: I mean, you know... <sighs> There are in, in all kinds of worlds. In the PT world, I, I see this. In the chiropractic world, you see this. Where <sighs> I think you see
1: it a lot in the chiropractic you
0: world. You do, but 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 sort of secretly, you also see it in the PT yeah, world without course. knowing about it. Like of course. In the chiropractic world, you see it where people become dependent on their... You know, I have people come into the clinic and then tell me, well, I have to go to the chiropractor every week because otherwise I'm out of alignment or like, you know, the chiropractor resets me or whatever the language is. There's also plenty of people who there's plenty of physical therapists who never discharge their patients where they're essentially just, you know, draining them at that point, you know, Mm -hmm. or anyway, that's a whole separate conversation. But the bigger picture is we want to normalize lifting weight, doing impact training within the parameters of what is appropriate for each person across your lifespan and something like an osteo strong or something like a Pilates class that's claiming bone density increase or yoga they have limitations that's the that's the big picture here is that they are limited in their capacity to do what we need them to do and when we know that what exists out there that is relatively easy not super expensive right you know even if you because what's interesting to me is a lot of the newer research is really much more about the impact training and it's less about the weight training mm-hmm. and it's really showing how impact training is so, so effective for yeah. bone density, right? So yeah. sitting in your chair and stomping your feet, as far as I know, is free, mm-hmm. right? And you, <laughs> I can I can then progress that all the way up to, you know, whatever, jumping with impact and doing pogos, right? And another
1: thing I'll say too is like strength training supports the, your comfort in doing impact training. Yeah, absolutely. So like the stronger you get, the more you might actually enjoy impact training. So now that we're talking about it, let's talk about the Lift More trial. Let's...
0: So we have talked about the Lift More trial quite a bit, especially in uh, in multiple episodes in season two, but especially episode 38. But in case somebody's listening for the first time, Laurel, could you give us just kind of like an overview of what the trial was and then what the results
1: showed? Right. So they had a control group um, doing low intensity at home workouts. And then they had uh, the, what would you call it? The research group mm-hmm. doing high intensity strength training and impact training in the clinic with physical therapists. And this was a group of women who were all postmenopausal. Mm-hmm. I think a large percentage of them, they all had osteoporosis and a large percentage of them had even sustained fractures from their osteoporosis from uh, probably falling, right? So, these were these were <laughs> postmenopausal osteoporotic women, many of whom had a history of fracture doing high-intensity strength training and impact training. Over the course of six months, was it eight months? Actually it was, actually eight, eight, was months. eight months, which is an incredibly long time yeah. to run a study, which is why you don't see a lot of studies that go on for that long yeah. because it's very expensive. So they but they gave the, the subjects time to actually build bone, which is, is which is really very necessary to be able to study bone. And it turned out there were just really positive results. People were, in a statistically significant way, able to increase their bone mineral density and uh, m- far more effectively than the control group. Yeah. Uh, and so,
0: you know, the LIFTMORE trial is really the gold standard that's out there showing that... How to run a good study? Well, how to run a good study, but also it really does show how progressive overload of weight training and impact training does positively benefit your bone mineral density.
1: And we have modeled our program to a large extent off of our understanding of how this how this program was yep. run. Yeah. So,
0: I think at this point we've kind of covered a lot of different things. Let's let's take a moment and just kind of summarize what we know works or doesn't work in terms of improving your bone mineral density or your osteoporosis. So, we know that a high load is important, especially the older you get.
1: Yeah, and the older you get, it's the older you get is because, so if, if you take that like analogy of a sinking boat, right? Your boat is sinking faster than a younger person, right? Right. So you actually need to ensure that you're patching the whole well. <laughs> right. Whereas people who are younger, their bone growth is outpacing their bone loss. It's the opposite of when you're older. So they maybe don't need quite as high of a stimulus. In fact, just like moderate strength training is probably more than enough. Uh, but at a certain point, because bone loss then starts to outpace bone growth, you're going to potentially have to step it up and give your bones a better reason, right? Just give them a right. better reason to grow. Exactly. And and that higher load. Let's let's be clear
0: for a moment. We're talking about a, like something that you could lift maximally five times. Five or six times. Yeah. So this is not your three sets of ten weight, and we'll talk about that all over the place. So we know that strength training is is. A positive influence on your bones we know that impact training is a positive influence on your bones do you need to avoid flexion and rotation this is kind of a it's tough i mean we cannot say conclusively one way or another right here right now on this podcast because so much of it depends on yeah, on the diagnosis the diagnosis the individual the comorbidities the age all of it but the reality is everyone is probably doing some amount of flexion (laughs) and rotation in their day-to-day life and... All all the time. All the time, and nothing's Mm -hmm. happening. So, you know, we take it with a grain of salt. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. (laughs) Well, I hope at least that this episode has helped you kind of navigate the the mythscape of osteoporosis in, in maybe a more nuanced and intelligent way for yourself, for your clients that you may be working with, for your patients, if you are a clinician and that maybe it's helped you kind of take a more squinty skeptical look, which is a clinical scientific look mm-hmm. at things like, claims around yoga and osteoporosis. And cla- osteo strong. And osteostrong claims around Pilates and yoga and osteoporosis, any kind of program that's claiming, you know, big improvement in small amounts of time that's wildly different than what the research is currently showing, mm-hmm. should make you run for the hills. It should make you at least go wait. So you can check out our show notes for links. For there's gonna be a lot of links in these show notes. I'm already like, oh boy, writing these show notes. Where's our assistant? Uh, You can also visit the Movement Logic website where you can get on our mailing list and you can also get on that list to get our free class, our free weightlifting class that's happening on September 14th, 2023. Thank you so much for joining us on the Movement Logic podcast. It helps us out if you liked this episode to subscribe, rate, review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and we will see you you next week. week.